We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And Lord, I, I'm so grateful to come and be a part of worship this morning. Lord, it's a blessing to me, Lord, to be able to look out across the congregation and see brothers and sisters with their hands raised, lost in worship, Lord God. Lord, I love that, and I want to see more of it, Father God. Inhabit our praises, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you. You know, Lord, how much we love the Word of God here at New Hope. We love your pure, unadulterated Word. And I pray this morning that that is what we will hear, Father God. Nothing else, Lord. No opinions, Lord. No, no thoughts of the, the preacher. But only the Word of God this morning, Lord. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, New Hope Band. I wanted to say um, I was real proud of our band yesterday. I really was. Um, very selfless act of them. And I know we have a, a lot in our band. And when you get a lot of people, you got a lot of stuff going on. you got a lot of schedules. But to be able to go down there uh, yesterday and see all of our band, and we took a lot of our equipment and uh, to worship and to, to, to praise God like they did, I, I was proud of them. And Thank you to them, and thank you to our New Hope supporters. I know a handful of you came, and it actually was very encouraging. It was a difficult atmosphere for me to preach in, but I, I did my best, and it was a blessing to look out, and I, I did see a few New Hope folks, and I even saw you raising your hand and clapping, and it was encouraging to me, so thank you for that. Um, well, you know how serious I take the Word of God. I, uh, it means everything to me. And I was praying, and you know, unsure of what direction God would have me to go, and well, wouldn't you know it, he, he spoke some scriptures to me, and uh, wanted to uh, go over these couple of scriptures that I came across in the, the book of First Peter, um, and they're just two scriptures, but there's a whole awful lot in them, okay, and I love to look at scriptures and try to unpack them and, and, and see what's in there for us. Now, if you can, we always put our scriptures up on the screens. If you have your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read a couple of scriptures, but there's a whole lot in them. And remember, whenever we're looking at inspired scripture, it is very much worth taking the time to take a closer look at them to see what God is trying to say to us. What is he trying to communicate or reveal to us? That's the way you ought to read your word, is what, what is trying to be communicated to me. Okay, so here we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. says this, and listen to the words. Pay close attention to them. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. It goes on and says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, just, just those two little scriptures, is God just made them jump out at me, and I feel that he would have us to look at them closely this morning and maybe just unpack them a little bit and see what is in there, see what is being revealed and communicated to us from the Spirit. Now, remember, we are to live by the Word of God. 
We live by the Word of God. We shape our lives around the whole of Scripture. Many times I think we look at it and we think, thank you for that suggestion, Lord. It, it is not a suggestion. We, we read these and we think, well, okay, I will consider this. I will consider applying this. That is not what the Word of God is trying to do. The Word of God speaks commands to us. They are commands. And remember, if you are a genuine believer, His commands are not grievous. The, the, the truly saved, regenerated person should seek direction from God. We ought look at these scriptures and say, okay, okay, yes, I want to do this. Because it comes from a genuine heart. We should look for direction from God who has our ultimate good in mind. Brothers and sisters, these are not mere suggestions. We live by these things. So as we look at these scriptures, remember that. Not a suggestion, not for you to consider. These are commands from God to us, but we should love these commands. We should want to take them in and put them in our heart and live them out and enact them. Now, first off, when we look at these scriptures, we need a little bit of clarification. You know me, I love to use the King James Version. You can use a different one, that's okay. But verse 12 says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, where it says having your conversations just kind of in old English terminology meaning conduct, okay? You might read that and think it, it's just talking about the things you speak about. You, you know, we today would say conversation means, you know, talking back and forth, you know, carrying a conversation. But when we look at this scripture here, it's, it's saying have your conduct honest among the Gentiles, okay? So it's talking about our behavior should be honest among the Gentiles. And Gentiles meaning the unsaved people, okay? So even if they speak evil against us, we ought to live honestly in front of them, okay? So Peter here is admonishing us, have good conduct out in this world, that ought be your behavior. That ought be the manner of your conversation, okay? Your, your conduct, which incidentally includes our conversation. The things that we say, the topics that we choose to discuss amongst each other. They ought be honest and pure and holy out in this world amongst those Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, the world is starving for Christians that conduct themselves honestly. It, it needs to see that. There's a big giant vacuum out there that needs filled by brothers and sisters who take the word seriously and they say, hmm, the word tells me to conduct myself honestly. I ought to conduct myself honestly amongst this world. Even if they speak evil of me, there's a big vacuum out there and we ought to fill that void. We're commanded to fill that void. The world needs some real Christians doing some good works out in it so that the world can see them. How many of you know that when we do good works, those good works point people to God? They point at him. When we do good things out in this world, it, it goes like this. There he is. There's God. Everyone focus on him. Everyone look at him. That's what good works do. They glorify God. This world needs that. It needs the church to step up and start doing some good stuff, some good deeds, exemplifying some of those things. The world needs that so that the, the world can see them, so that we can point people to God. 
Jesus says this in John 15, verse 8. He says, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Jesus teaches us here, he says, you want to glorify God? Bear much fruit. Go out into this world, do these good works and these good deeds, and do them right in front of the world. Do them so that they can see them and behold them. The, world, the word of God is telling to us to ignore what the world is saying about you. Brothers and sisters, there's always going to be someone saying something about you. There's always going to be a critic. There are a dime a dozen. They're around every corner. Someone criticizing you. Someone criticizing the church. Someone criticizing the way that you do things. Someone criticizing your motives. Someone criticizing your character. Ignore all that stuff and do good works in front of them. This is what the scriptures here is telling us. Ignore all that and do good works. Bear fruit and let the world say whatever junk they want to say. Why? Because when true believers do good works, we shut their mouths and we point them to God. We don't have to engage in these arguments. We just need be about our Father's business. When we do good works, understand this. God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. He gets the attention. He gets the focus. That's how it ought to be. The focus ought to be on Christ, not on us. We do these good works for him, on his behalf, to glorify him, to point to him. That is the point of doing these good works. Genuine believers, hear me now, genuine believers should desire to do good works. They should desire to do good works. Whenever church folks get together and we start talking about good works, someone's automatically thinking, oh, brother, now you're getting legalistic on me. Now you're, you're, you're talking about doing all these good things. Brothers and sisters, that is an excuse for people who want to get out of doing good works. The genuine believer should desire to do good works. You should de desire to do good things. Your desire ought to be to glorify God. The whole point of your life is to glorify God. We ought seek to do these good things. Now, I will say this, and we've preached this a million times. We are not saved by those good works. But a genuine faith in Jesus Christ produces those good works. We ought to be doing good works out in this world. Listen to me now. It is not biblically consistent to state that a person is saved but has no change. That, that's not consistent with real genuine salvation. That is not consistent. A true convert loves God's law and seeks to do good. True salvation, brothers and sisters, is, is where God changes the inside of a person and that affects what comes outside of the person. It ought to produce change. Salvation should have changed you. It should have changed your worldview. It should have changed the way you looking, look at do, doing good deeds. It changes you. Now, I, I say all that to make the statement that Christians ought to be doing good works out in this world. That's part of our duty as brothers and sisters in Christ. The world, as our opening text says, ought to be beholding our good works. They should behold them. All right, brother, then what do you mean by good works? What are we talking about when we say good works? You know, good, good works 
They, they are fruit produced in the believer's life that glorifies God, that reflects back to him. Look what he has done. Look what he can do. He changed me from this to this, and I just want to reflect it back on him to any who might see me. Good works, listen to me now, are things like this. How about this, evangelism? How about, for crying out loud, concern for others? How about patience? How about an ounce of humility about yourself? How about some meekness, generosity, compassion, charity? How about all these things? What about some hope? What about faithfulness? What about loyalty? What about selflessness? These are all good fruit that produce glory to God. These things ought manifest themselves in one way or another in your life. It is your duty. It's your purpose here. Their opening text is suggesting that maybe the world needs some people to exemplify some of these characteristics. Yes, brothers and sisters, it's an evil world. It is. It's a cold, dark, evil world out there that will chew you up and spit you out in a hurry. Yes, they will talk evil about you. Yes, you might as well just go ahead and come to terms with that. But that doesn't mean to quit doing good works. We're, we're supposed to be doing good deeds until God calls us home. Until we're shoveling dirt onto your casket. Then your race is over. Then the fight is over. We ought to be doing these good deeds to glorify God. Don't you think that the world needs some folks to show some compassion? Do you think that the world needs some people to exhibit humility? I, I was reading this thing recently and about prompted me to preach you a sermon on humility. You might be hearing a sermon on humility coming up. Humility is the fingerprint of God on a person's life. That's what it is. You walk humbly. The, the world needs to see that in church people, in saved people. How about the world needs some people to show charity, a, a, a general disposition of goodwill towards other people. You should desire good for other people. Want good for this nation. Want good for your neighbors, neighborhoods and community. We should have, want good. We should have goodwill towards all that stuff. A desire for good for others. The world needs some examples of Christians who walk around with hope. With hope. But the thing that, that, that bothers me, and I see this a lot with my job, is most Christian brothers and sisters cannot see beyond their own concerns. And I know that we all have our own concerns. We do. Every last one of us has a mountain of concerns this high. I get that. I get that. But we get completely wrapped up in our own issues. We, 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 we don't even see or realize that the world needs to see these things. We don't have time for anyone else. We don't even realize anyone else has any issues except for us. We're not even coherent about these problems going on in our world. The, the, the needs of the world... They, they can be fulfilled by someone else. They can be someone else's problems. I got my own problems, man. Quit bothering me with this. 
the needs of the church, the needs of the local church, man, I can't. I got my own stuff going on. The needs of the kingdom of God, I can't do it. I got enough on my plate right now. That mindset is not biblical Christianity. It is not. Biblical Christianity is selflessness. Emptying yourself, your desires, all your ambitions, everything you want out of life. It is setting that aside and saying, God, where would you use me? Christianity is, nobody's going to like this, self-denial. It's, it's self-denial. The Bible says, take up your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross. What that is saying is, hmm, maybe push yourself off to the side just a little bit. And when you do that, you may have vision open up to you. There's a whole world out there who needs Christ, who needs some people to exemplify some of these good fruits. Christianity is seeing a cause that is greater than yourself. So many of us fail to do that. We, we see our own stuff, and we fail to see the cause that's greater than just us, greater than me and mine, greater than our own little worlds. Christianity is greater than that. Christianity, listen to me now, it's standing in the gap. It's filling in gaps that no one else will. That's what true Christianity is. Brothers and sisters, we have a nation. I don't know if you can see this or not, but we have a nation completely transfixed on self. Completely engulfed in self. Completely. Completely. And it sadly creeps into the church. It, it filters its way into the church. And then church people begin being self-concerned. Church people begin being self-absorbed. And I see it. I pray you have your spiritual eyeballs. You can see it too. Getting people to step up, even in church, is like pulling teeth. It is. Go find someone else. Look back at verse 12 of our opening text, right there in the middle. It says, they may, back in our opening text of 1 Peter 2, that they may, by your good works, which they shall behold. Notice that part that says, which they shall behold. Now, it's talking in the context, they shall behold the good works, these good deeds that Christian people are doing. It says, which they shall behold. Now, like a dummy, I just assume that means that the world will see. You know, they'll behold them. They'll see our good works. But if you look a little closer, it means a little bit more than that. Where it says they shall behold them, it means they shall inspect carefully these good works that you're doing. They shall critically observe your behavior. So it's saying that the world, when you do these good works out in front of them and people see that, they will critically observe these good works. They, they will question, why is he doing that? Why is she behaving that way? What is their motive? If th there are people, brothers and sisters, that have their eye on you. They have their eye on you. They will see your good works and they will inspect them carefully. 
Why do they do that? What's their motive? What's in it for them? they got to be doing it for some sort of, it must benefit them somehow. And they're dissecting these good works that we ought be doing. And if you do them, they're going to break them down. They're going to question them. They're going to put them underneath of a microscope. And indeed, a Christian is underneath a microscope. Maybe we ought to start behaving in a manner that is acceptable to God. Why? Because there's people watching. There's people watching the individual Christians. There's people watching the church as a whole. There's people watching pastors, the, the way they live, the way they conduct their homes. There's people watching. Well, that's unfair. Point that scripture out to me. Where's that one at? Man, I've been, I look pretty intently at the word. I don't know where that one is. There's people watching us. Ephesians 5.15 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Brothers and sisters, we are to walk accurately. We are to walk diligently. And we are not to veer off that path. That is what it means to walk circumspectly. You can't behave however you want to behave. You can't be a fool. You have to stay on that straight and narrow path. You can't deviate off of it. Why? Because there's people watching you. There's people that are watching. We are to walk carefully, the Bible says. Be careful the way you live your life. You don't get to just live however in the world you want. You've got to be careful. You've got to make careful decisions. Every decision that comes your way, you must examine it through the worldview of the Bible. Use it as your lens. You better re-examine the way you behave financially. You better re-evaluate the way you run your household. You better rethink some of the ways you manage the stuff that God has given you to manage. You know that I love saying this because I think it throws people off. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. Nothing. We are owners of nothing. You might try to disagree and say, hey, I got this piece of paper that says it's mine. For now, for now, for a little bit, you can claim ownership to something. We are just purely stewards. You know what that means? We're managers. That is it. We manage things for God. God says, hey, here's a few resources. Here's a little bit of money. Here's a house and a vehicle. Now manage it in a way that will glorify me. Think of it this way. Everything that you own is on loan from God. He actually does own it indeed. And you manage it for him. And you ought to manage it in a way that's circumspectly. Not foolish. I try to teach my sons. I got both of them working and they're earning and I'm very proud of that. And they get their paycheck. You want to go out and blow every single nickel and say, wait, wait a minute now, wait a minute. Is, is that the way you ought to behave financially? Go out there and blow every nickel. Manage it in a way that is acceptable to God. Not as fools but as wise. I assure you, there are people watching you. Some of you in here are probably thinking, man, not me. I'm not, I'm not significant enough. I'm not in the limelight. Somebody is watching you. There's a little niece or a little nephew watching the way you behave. There's a cousin. There's a brother-in-law three times removed. Someone's watching you. There's a neighbor. You, you don't know the things that they see. 
and, and, and people notice little things. Little tiny things can speak volumes to people. I assure you, they're watching your marriage. They're, they're watching it. They're watching if you respect your husband or your wife. Or if you just treat her or him, and eh, whatever, the old ball and chain. They're watching. They're watching your behavior. They're, they're watching how you parent. Did you hear me right there? How you parent, they're watching. They're watching how you treat other people, how you interact. They're watching your attitude at work. Do you go into work and everybody's complaining about the jerk boss and you two are like, yeah, he is a jerk. I can't stand him. Wish he could get hit by a bus. They're watching that. They're watching all your reactions. They're contemplating how you view this world. There is someone watching, and listen to me, what they see in you will shape their view on Christianity. That's, the, that's, that's why. That's why we ought live circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What they see in you, your conduct, the things that come out of your mouth, the way you interact with other people, that will form their opinion on God, on this Jesus that y'all are talking about. You are God's mini representative here in this earth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, I love this verse. I love the whole book of Colossians. It says this, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Did you see that, that scripture? Colossians 1.10, what I just read, should be a, a mini synopsis of your life. It should be a mini description of your life if you're a genuine believer. Walking pleasing unto the Lord, being fruitful and doing good works, and growing closer to God in the knowledge of God. That ought to be the summation of your life. People in this world ought to be able to look and say, man, th this person is, a, th whatever they believe, they really do believe it. This is a real deal. I love coming across a, or meeting a brother or sister that's a genuine believer. I love it. Feels like I've known him for like 30 years already. Met a guy last night, we were just talking, actually we're talking about the book of Colossians, and man, I busted out my Bible, and we was just sharing these verses, and I showed him one I liked, he showed me one he liked, felt like I'd known this guy for 20 years. A genuine believer. That ought to be the summation of your life, that you might walk worthy unto the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That ought be a description of you. Okay, back to our original text for today. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This is an admonition from Peter to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Notice the word abstain, to refrain from deliberately, to choose not to partake in. 
You know, we, we act like this. This, this. this bothers me because I think I believe in this sometimes. We act like when temptation comes, a temptation to sin, whatever your little weakness is, we act like when it comes, we, we just can't help it. We had to indulge. We had to. Hey, come on, man, I'm human. It is a choice, brothers and sisters. Every time you sin, you choose to say, uh, step aside, Bible, step aside, Word of God, I'm going to choose this. What does that even mean when we say, hey, come on, man, I'm human? That's very abstract. What are you doing, blaming the whole entire human race that you sinned? It is a choice. You are choosing to push God off to the side. The Bible says abstain from fleshly lust. Make a conscious decision to say, this is bad. I need to avoid it and go over here. It is a willful, deliberate choice not to partake. Whatever junk this world has to offer, you say, no, thank you. Abstain from it. But the world says, this is okay now. No, thank you. But the world says, this is trendy now. No, thank you. I'll take a pass on that one. Listen, this is very important. And we are to abstain from them as strangers and pilgrims. As strangers and pilgrims. I'm not too sure that modern-day Christians grasp the concept of being strangers and pilgrims on this earth. I don't know if we get that. I don't. Because I see a lot, awful lot of us working like crazy to be as comfortable as possible here on this side of eternity. Going wild so that we can have comfort in all the things we like and love. We work so hard to be perfectly at home here. We have this focus on all of our domestic issues right here, right now. And it is all of my focus is on this, right here, right now, this, nothing else, everything else doesn't matter to me. Just this, where I'm at, right here, right now. Our eyes are focused solely on this side of eternity. Sadly, to the neglect of the real eternity. We focus so hard on this part. The Bible says, hey, wait a minute. I'm trying to teach you that this life is a vapor. It's a vapor. It, it appears for a little while and then vanishes away. That's what your life is. It's fleeting. It's, it's momentary. It, I, I swear to you, it seems like my wife just gave birth to our kids yesterday. I got one graduated, and another one's a junior. Where did it all go? I don't know. My wife and I like to walk the friendship trails in New Concord, and we walk all around the school campus, and every time we walk around the, the baseball diamond fields, you know how many times I chalked those lines and drug the fields and put the bases in and out and got the concession stand ready? And it's gone. Gone. All of it's gone, just like that. Where did it all go? I don't know. It's gone. Maybe... The Bible's telling the truth when it says your life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Our hearts, our hearts have taken up residence right here and they're perfectly content. Our affections, they're all right here and it's everything we love is right here. 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. 
and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The Apostle Paul here is reminding us, you better have the correct worldview when it comes to money and all the stuff that you accumulate. Because you can't take it with you. That's why I said you don't own anything. You might say, well, I got a deed right here that says I own this 30 acres. For now, one of these days you're going to be gone and someone else is going to be fighting over it. Someone else is going to be taking that land. It will be someone else's someday. Don't chase it because you can't take it with you anyway. Don't make your life about the accumulation of goods. If you're blessed and got lots of money and lots of land, God bless you, I'm happy for you. But don't make that the summation of your life. And use it for the glory of God. Do, do you have food on your table and clothes on your back? Yes, bless God, be content. Be content with that, be satisfied. Do you have a roof over your head? Good Bless God, be happy with it. It might not be a mansion, that's okay. The mansion comes in eternity. Man, I drive around, look at some of these homes, and I'm like, holy smokes, never in a million years will I be able to afford something like that. Never in a million years. Maybe I got one of them waiting for me up yonder. Where inflation hasn't been ridiculous and... I can't wait for heaven, brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, have mercy. I can't wait. This place is getting more miserable every day. We, we chase after all this world's good and waste so much time in light of eternity. Now we're called to work and be providers. I'm not telling you quit working and be lazy, sell all your stuff and just sit there like a bum. That is not Christian either. Work ethic is a biblical principle. But that's a topic for a different day. The people of God ought reckon themselves as strangers and pilgrims. We're strangers here. We're pilgrims here. Have you ever heard of the term pilgrimage? You know, like maybe someone takes a pilgrimage. It, what it means is it's a journey through a foreign land. That is what we are on right now. Let that be your worldview. Every single day you wake up, let this world be a strange place to you. Let it be a foreign land to you. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, this is a strange place to me. I'm, I'm only a pilgrim here. I don't claim this as my permanent home. I will boldly and openly say it to everybody. I look around and I see that they celebrate evil things here on this planet. They celebrate them. That is strange to me because where I'm going, we celebrate good things. We celebrate righteous things. I, th I find it strange that they don't worship God here on this planet. That's strange to me. That's different from my home because my home, we worship God. We enjoy worshiping God. They don't know, not only tolerate sin here, they boast of sin here. That's very strange to me because where I'm going, they don't tolerate sin where I'm going. They don't, surely don't boast of it. Sin is a shameful thing to my home. Where I belong, it's shameful to sin. It's embarrassing. It's like a stain on a white garment, the Bible says. That's what it's like when my home, this life is only temporary. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Eternal matters are the more weightier matters, and they ought to consume our attention. They ought to demand our affection. 
The eternal matters are the more weighty. It's so easy to get flip-flopped, isn't it? Man, it happens to me. You, you see these issues with money and, and, and this and that and people, and, and it automatically shifts your focus onto that. And God's saying, wait a minute, keep eternity in view, son. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Brothers and sisters, this earth is not your permanent home. It's not your permanent home. We're only here for a little while. Just a short blip on the map and then you're going to be gone. We belong somewhere else. We are citizens of heaven. Heaven is where you will feel perfectly comfortable. It's where our concerns ought to be. Eternity should be our focus. It ought to be our focus. Our mindset, our mindset should be, I'm on my pilgrimage and I'm on my way to a heavenly kingdom. That ought to be the way you view this world and everything in it. Because if that's your mindset, I'm here to tell you, it will help to alleviate a lot of stress. It will. Man, this world throws so many things and tries to weigh you down. But if you can see, I'm just on a pilgrimage, only for a little while, and then I'll be set free of all this stuff. It will help alleviate stress in the believer. I'm a pilgrim, and I'm on my way to a heavenly kingdom. Listen to me now. The more attached you are to this planet, the less you'll desire your eternal home. The, the more roots you have down into this side of eternity, the more it will hurt when God tries to pull you up out of this world to the other side of eternity. The more those roots will grab and hold on to stuff as God's saying, what are you doing, child? Child, I'm trying to bring you to your eternal home where there is rest, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And those roots will say, I don't want to go. I don't I want to hold on to all my stuff, and I like it here. You'll resist it. And I'm telling you not to resist it. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That is a foreign concept to us. But that is what the Bible teaches Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, hold on to this world very loosely. Hold on to all your stuff very loosely. Be ready to let it all go in an instant. We don't think about this enough, do we? We don't. We don't think about heaven enough. I love when we sing songs about heaven and eternity. It's like, remember that song, We Are Almost Home? It's like, I love singing songs. I can tell you do too because everybody gets into them. Whenever we start singing about glory or the hereafter or heaven or eternity, everybody gets into it because that's our home. We're singing about our home. And why ought we not to? We're pilgrims. This is a strange place to us. We ought to sing about something that's familiar to us, our heavenly home. Band, that's your hint to sing about more heavenly songs, by the way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Listen to this now. You realize that all kinds of brothers and sisters are going to be up there. Some of you maybe have a husband or a wife waiting on you. Maybe a child. Maybe a close friend waiting on you up there. 
I can't wait. We're going to have ourselves the marriage feast of the Lamb up there. I don't know what all that consists of because I'm not that good at the book of Revelation. But all I know is I hope there's a spot for me. All I know is I will partake. Whatever it is, whatever you're serving, I'll take some heapings of it. Brothers and sisters, the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Bible are going to be up there. Do you understand that? Abraham and Sarah are going to be up there. We can see them. We can look upon them. Maybe we can talk to them. The prophets, if you love your Bible, the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, the prophets are up there. They're up there. Well, I can't wait to see them. The disciples and the apostles are up there. I can't wait to see them. Listen, the martyrs, all the Christians who've been killed all through the ages, all through the medieval times, who when they were Christians, all, all of them, all the reformers, they're up there. All of them that have died and gone on before us, they're up there. I want to see them. I'm going to look up people like Martin Luther. I want to talk with them. I want to see what he has to say. I want to ask him about his journey. Maybe he'll ask me about my journey. The William Tyndales, I want to talk to these people. They're up there waiting on us. They're in our eternal home. Those are my family. I want to be with them. Missionaries and great preachers that have gone on before us, they're up there. My dad, he loved David Wilkerson all through the years. Dad, he's up there. Maybe you can sit and talk with him. Most of all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's up there. The supreme king, the spotless lamb, he who was dead yet liveth. The bread of life, the Bible calls him the branch, he will be there. None other than Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says, as a lamb having been slain, that's how we will recognize him. Maybe we'll see scars on him. Maybe there'll be scars around his back and his head. You're a stranger here. You're a stranger here. You won't be there. But here, it's this strange. Listen to this. I'll start bringing this to a close. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, listen to these words, brothers. Let them encourage you, sisters. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, do you see how it says there's this great cloud of witnesses? I think it's a lot of those people that I just mentioned. The matriarchs and the patriarchs of the Bible, the martyrs, the reformers, the Protestants that paved the way for us to be here today. They're all part of this great cloud of witnesses. You know what I was thinking about? Maybe, just maybe, there's some old New Hope saints up there that's part of this great cloud of witnesses. Maybe every now and again, now I don't know, but maybe every now and again, those old brothers and sisters that used to attend here and they've gone to glory before us, maybe they can look down and see us every now and again. Maybe they're up there cheering us on and rooting us on. Saying, stay the course, brother. Keep preaching the word. Keep it, it's worth it. It's going to be worth it. Keep on going. Cross the finish line. Stay the course. Maybe they're part of this great cloud of witnesses. Just maybe. Maybe. Maybe 
little Doris Dew is up there with a glorified body. Or Ron Hosher, if you got to know him ever. Or none other than Guido Hajar. Maybe he's part of this great cloud of witnesses. I remember we when Guido in here, half dead, he still came to church. Brothers and sisters, get a mosquito bite today, and I'm out for six weeks. I'll be back after I heal up. We wheeled this man in half dead. I respect that. I can respect that. I remember praying for him over there. We wheeled him right in. I prayed for him. He was on his bed. He couldn't even get up, couldn't do anything. And man, he looked at us and said, come here, come here. Couldn't hardly talk. And he, he encouraged us. In his dying breaths, he encouraged us. Seeing we are therefore encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset. If I can ask the band to make their way back. Brothers and sisters, this old world's going to burn up. Peter actually goes on to tell us that the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. It actually says the the heavens, the environment shall pass away with a a great noise. All this stuff is going to burn up. And guess what? I'm okay with it. I'm perfectly okay with it. I know the environmentalists won't like, they might cancel me over making a statement like that. But you understand, they have to cling to this. They have to. They don't have the hope of eternity like we do. All this stuff's going to burn up, and I'm okay with it. Why? Because this isn't my permanent home. I'm a stranger. This is a strange place to me. Maybe a man's a woman and a woman's a man. That's strange to me. I don't get it. I guess I got left out of the joke. I, I don't understand. We don't need no police. That's strange to me. I don't understand it. I'm, I'm not from here. I'm from somewhere else. I'm, come, I'm going to another home. Are you a pilgrim? Are you a stranger here? Is this a strange place to you, brothers and sisters? Now, having talked about what we talked about this morning and looked closely at these scriptures, keep in mind everything I said, and we're going to finish with, we're going to reread those scriptures and now see if they mean more to you, okay? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Listen to the words. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, having your conduct honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Doesn't that mean so much? The sacred texts are so fantastic to me. I love the Word of God. It gets me excited. Church, keep doing good works. Keep walking circumspectly. Ignore what they say about you. Always going to be a critic. Glorify God and reckon yourself as a pilgrim and a stranger in a foreign land. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You remember these altars are all open as the band begins to play. These altars are open. You come down here and you seek God. You confront anything that needs confronted in your life. Confront it now. Better to confront things now than in the hereafter.
when you're standing before the judge. Amen.